Great, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 today. We're going to be looking at the life of Joseph, or I guess the life of Jesus through the experiences of Joseph. My name's Rob. I was one of those people up on the picture. And the thing I loved about that picture is that I was wearing my favorite sweater for the photo. I'm wearing my second favorite sweater this morning. They're not identical twins, they're fraternal twins, but it's good enough. So I appreciate what Matt was saying about asking the Lord to make the the Christmas spirit count, which is really funny. I really have no idea what the Christmas spirit is. Is it that big fat guy from um, the Ebenezer Scrooge story, or what is it exactly? But whatever Matt's best intention in calling it the Christmas spirit, I'm in step with him. But if you know me at all, you know that I uh, have waged eternal war against letting life with Jesus become routine. To the death routine, to the death, letting uh, things get routine and boring and going through the motions. Uh, I don't want anybody going to the judgment seat of Christ at the end of their life and saying, you missed it because you did all this stuff, but your brain and your heart were somewhere else. And so I uh, have declared mortal combat against that. And it's two men enter, one man leave, all the way down with this stuff. And I'm going to keep making references to violent movies until you get the picture that I just, homie, don't play that, and I don't do this. But, and usually it's to the point where during the Christmas season, I won't even preach Christmas messages. Like, I won't talk about, (laughs) you know, I'll just be like, let's go to Obadiah, or something like that, and just totally try to jar us out of the routine, but I want to try to do that a little bit different this time. And I just want to look at the story of, of Joseph and see his, see the catastrophe of Jesus coming into Joseph's life, if you want to put it like that. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at the Word of God. Father, I just pray for help. Uh, you know, I feel very vulnerable to not getting it right this morning, and Um, So thank you for that. Thank you for that sense. And I pray that you'd fill in the gap with your Holy Spirit, with grace. You'd really lead us and help, help us get it. And amen. All right. So I've changed my mind about this first slide, so I'm going to leave you in eternal curiosity about what I was going to do with the first slide. I think my clicker's supposed to be working now. Green means good. Green means go. Yeah, got it. Okay. Jackie's probably going to give me what for afterwards. You won't? Okay, you'll give me for what? Whatever. Okay, let's read this together. Now the... Oh! Now, yeah. now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, which means like engaged plus, and I'll explain that in a second. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, I underlined that and boldened that because I'm going to come back to it, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he's considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. 
For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Okay, so as I read this story, Joseph, um, we know right away he's a good guy. Okay, so he's a just man, he's just righteous man, he's a good guy. And you can tell that his plan is, he's kind of looking to, he's, a, he's obviously some kind of established business person, most likely in the trades, which is where Jesus learned to be a tradesperson from. That's how they did jobs back then. You didn't really go to school and pick a major and pick a minor and come out of school. Uh, $200,000 in debt, you just did whatever your dad did. And so most likely a tradesperson and has established himself enough as a breadwinner that he's been able to go to another family and say, uh, uh, your daughter is appealing to me, and they would have made some kind of covenant together for marriage. And the reason I called it Engaged Plus is because it's very obvious from how they tell the story, once that initial agreement to get married someday soon had happened, they already called Joseph her husband. So when they agreed to get married, they were married but they hadn't solidified the marriage with the wedding day. But in our culture, engagements are like uh, an intention to get married, but it's not quite as legally and culturally and socially and spiritually binding as what they did back then. But Joseph's a good guy who wanted to marry a godly woman, and we know from other stories that Mary was an off-the-charts godly woman and looking to have a household. And in comes Jesus by the Holy Spirit and destroys his expectations for his life by supernaturally causing his wife that he hasn't consummated with to be pregnant. Can you just think for a second of the gut kick it would have been for Joseph to find out about this? The investment of time, the investment of money. He's probably already paid some kind of dowry or bride bride price to the family in order to secure this marriage. And not only that, but just the sense of feeling deceived. Like, I thought, Mary, you were someone you weren't. And the possible loss of social standing to be involved with this situation. Like, just this is a catastrophe socially and relationally for him and just in his own spirit most likely but he's a just man the bible tells us and so he's unwilling to put her to shame and so he's going to end the betrothal again they're not fully married but they're but in their culture the betrothal was so significant that ending it is still called a divorce here or a separation or whatever but it's a big deal but just, we get this window into the heart of Joseph so that even in this event that is destroying his plans and is a betrayal, as far as humanly speaking, he can discern, he still wants to somewhat take care of Mary and wants to end the betrothal in a way like Legally, according to the law of Moses, he could have gotten Mary taken out to the city square and stoned until dead. That was a possible way of dealing with this. 
but he's a righteous man. And even in the midst of the catastrophe of this conception, he wants to quietly, like, he's righteous and he doesn't want to, like, pretend like nothing's happened. And he's righteous. He doesn't want to make it any worse for Mary than it is already. Do you see that window into his character there? And God shows up as as Joseph is prayerfully, I'm sure, trying to figure out what to do in an impossible situation. An impossible event happens to Joseph and an angel from God comes and says, you have really misunderstood what's going on here. Now that you, I would like to inform you of the full facts. Um, this This son is like no one else who will ever be. And God says, I want you to take care of him. And we know from further verses that he agrees. He's obedient to it. And one of the things I just want to highlight from this Christmas story, because I do think that the best thing that many of us can get for Christmas this year is just the men in our lives to be good. I just want to point out that the coming of Christ into Joseph's life enabled him to really fulfill being a good man. Um, I want to show you another slide. This is interesting. This just came up on my Twitter feed. And I just thought it was funny and sad and funny. Um, This is marriage advice from a suffragette from about 100 years ago. Two young women. So, yeah, there you go. Did I click that or did somebody... You did that? Okay. Okay. So the suffragettes were women looking for the vote. For most places in most of human history, there is no voting. It's like you do what the king says or you're dead. But in the history of voting spreading throughout the world, there was a a time where uh, women in the West weren't voting and stuff. And so the suffragettes were the women fighting for this. And this was their advice. I'll read it for you just because, wow. Advice on marriage to young ladies. Number one, do not marry at all. Number two, but if you must, avoid the beauty men, flirts, and the bounders. I just have no idea what half of this is. But you can tell that the woman writing this is full of emotion. (laughs) Taylor dummies and football enthusiasts, perfect for the World Cup. Yes. Or no. Or who knows. What do you got against soccer? Number three, look for a strong, tame man. Huh? A fire lighter, a coal getter, a window cleaner, and a yard sweller, which I think she means a guy who will help out around the house. (laughs) You know, turns on the furnace, fills up your car with gas, wipes away that window tear, because all of your windows are so sad, it's winter, they're crying all the time, and someone who will mow the lawn. I think that's what she means. Number four, don't expect too much. Most men are lazy, selfish, thoughtless, lying, drunken, clumsy, heavy-footed, which is really funny, right? When I'm up getting a peanut butter sandwich and you're like, I can hear you from across the house. (laughs) Rough, unmanly brutes and need taming, which I still have no idea what she means there. Number five, all bachelors are, and many are still worse. Or worse still, that is bad grammar, right off the bat. So she lost me on the improper use of a comma right there. 
Number six, if you want him to be happy, feed the brute. Number seven, the same remark applies to dogs. Number eight, you will be wiser not to chance it. It isn't worth the risk of suffragette. So crazy. So I think this appeared in some kind of magazine. But there are people and movements which base their entire lives and careers on actually writing this without laughing. Do you know what I mean? There are whole movements in politics, in your schools, in your life of people who say this stuff and they aren't smiling or joking. And it's, it goes to the fall. It goes to the fall of man. It's, it's, uh, and one of the ways, just because, you know, welcome to Calvary. One of the ways you know that our culture is not egalitarian is that if I wrote a list where men were honest about how hard it is to live with women sometimes, the church would be just dead quiet and super offended. And we absolutely do treat men and women differently until you start talking about money or uh, titles and positions and stuff, and then everyone gets upset about it. But we, we, aren't, we don't treat each other equal, and only dishonest people think you can actually pull that off. Because God has not made us to be equal. We're made to be different and use our strengths in love and care for our weaknesses with grace and story. But sometimes you get this stuff. But I own it. Like, as a guy, yes, uh, we can be horrible. And women, too. Can I just point out a fact? I don't mean to make this too heavy. In our heads, we think men are the violent killer types, but not in Canada for a couple decades. Women definitely have totally outstripped on the kill count of Canadians. Sorry, ladies, you're the violent killer ones in Canada. And I'm not, it's not something to laugh about. It just is not. Pardon? Through abortion. About about one in five. And I know the guys are involved, but like, not as involved. And so it's a mess. And what I'm coming back to here is that when Jesus came into Joseph's life, he came into a world where men and women kill each other. And don't trust each other. And hate each other. And reject each other. And abandon each other. And it all goes back to the garden where Adam and Eve were in the presence of God. And God just said, you need to trust me and take care of the tree of life. And don't turn against me. And you have this little undoing of the garden with Joseph. Where God comes to Joseph and he says to Joseph, Joseph, you are not getting what you want out of life. But you have a woman to take care of and a life-giving baby to protect. And if you will protect Jesus, he will bring life to the universe where Adam and Eve brought death to the universe. And Joseph obeyed. Before Jesus was even born, he was redeeming the world.
Because Jesus came to save his people from their sins. What is the worst thing in the world? It's not the environment. It's not fossil fuels. It's not the World Cup. It's not COVID. It's not inflation. It's not political corruption. It's not anything but sin. Sin is the great killer. Sin corrupts every good thing. Sin destroys our minds and our hearts and our marriages. It's sin. And so when Jesus came to save us, before he was born, he was conceived but not yet born, the angel is saying again, he's come to save his people from their sins. Um, I have a theory about life. I'll share it with you. If you want to know where the spirit of Antichrist is in the world today, you just need to look to whoever's trying to save the world. The billionaires and the advocators and the social media watchdogs. Because whenever they're trying to save the world, they are actively denying that someone else already has. Are you tracking with me yet? When Jeff Bezos says, I'm, and God bless him, I'm not speaking evil of him. When he says, I'm going to use my $128 billion to rescue the environment, he's saying, because I don't believe Jesus already did. And the only billionaire I kind of trust right now is the one who does not want to rescue the world. He wants to go to Mars. And there's something, and this is, this is for real. He's not trying to save anybody. He just wants to put a building on another planet. And there is something very oddly semi-Christian about not thinking this world is ours to save. But instead to believe someone else has become the savior of it. And it's our God just to try to be, our, our job just to try to be as useful as possible until the savior comes back to finish the job. I can't save anything. It's so weird. Can I just share with you one little factoid from the week? So weird. You know how there's this whole green movement? God bless them. If you're into it, God bless you. But literally, all the CO2 we've put into the air with our fossil fuel burning has turned the planet into the best place for plants to grow ever. Because they breathe CO2. They are getting jacked on all the CO2 all of our dinosaur burning cars are sending into the atmosphere right now. The world has never been greener. Well, at least since human beings have been on it. It's so weird to know that if we go electric, the world will be less green. Literally. So I don't know what's best, okay? I'm not smart enough. I'm just some dumb guy with two arms. So, But I just like laughing at the facts that trying to go green will actually starve the plants. <laughs> they need to grow. <laughs> it's ah, reality. Pow, 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 pow. But the reason Joseph had to take care of this boy that was not his own was because this boy had the mission of saving his people from their sins because they could not do it on their own. And that's why Jesus came. That's why he's the most important thing. That's why we need him. That's why we do Christmas. It's not so that Black Friday can help all the businesses make a profit for the year. 
It's because without Jesus coming and paying the price for our sins, we have no hope. And even our best intentions tend to just make things worse. That's why it's called a curse. Ah, I'm rambling a bit. But when we fell, God did speak a curse over humanity. And what that means is God has set himself against us getting awesome on our own. Because we've been against him. And so it is a lie to think we can ignore God and control that things will turn out okay. Because everything we're trying to fix in this generation was just the solutions from the last generation. Do you know how horrible it was to not have cars? How many people have driven themselves to the hospital this year? Imagine trying to do that on horseback. Do you know how many lives our pollution makers save each year? But now we've made the pollution. We've got to fix that. And that's just on the technological side. So many family problems are people trying to fix the last generation's family problems. And they just make the next generation's family problems. Because we need a savior. We need Jesus to come and be the boss and be supernaturally strong and to be able to make us feel forgiveness and be able to give forgiveness. So he did this miracle. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin, that's Mary, shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Just so respectful, so obedient, so good. And I'm just waving my arms to say it's not an accident that God picked a man who would respond to a crisis in his life and the upset of his plans this way to be the father of Jesus Christ. I'm going to skip over the story of the wise men. Maybe we'll hit that some other time. So the wise men come, remember they meet with Herod because they're looking for the baby and they find their way to Bethlehem and Herod wants to know where the baby is because he's King Herod and he's threatened by the idea of there's somebody else having a king because he's like, my wife didn't just give birth and so what do you mean a king was just born? And that sounds like January 6th and we got to just go and after and kill this thing. And verse 13, now when they had departed, this is the wise men, I'm just trying to catch the story of Joseph here. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And Joseph rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. Again, just waving my arms for this Joseph experience of discomfort and instability being brought into his life through the presence of Jesus. 
which I know is a hard sell. It's like, why should I become a Christian? Oh, it's all the crisis and instability that knowing Jesus will bring into your life. You know, that's the other. We usually say, you know, you'll get love and, and he'll help you. And this is all true. But taking care of Jesus for Joseph me, meant that he spent years a hunted man. Kind of wondering if he ever got a speeding ticket, if the cop was going to do some facial recognition on him and then he was going to go to one of those quarantine camps for an indeterminate amount of time or whatever. Like it did not bring safety and security into Joseph's life. It brought the Savior and a job. It brought Jesus and a mission. But the mission was to be a great dad, which involved hauling family out of where they were going to get killed by listening to God and being obedient. So not comfort, but fulfillment of what it means to be a man. That's a good deal. Okay, so I'm going to pause Joseph a little bit, and we're going to meet this Herod guy. He's King Herod. And uh, it says this, Then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, because they didn't tell Herod where the baby was, he became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he'd figured out from the wise men. And that was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah and weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. And I, so, first of all, again, like, one of the things about Christmas is that with the hope we have of joy and presents and um, on-sale switch games and lots of food and turkey or ham or whatever, and I hope you have a wonderful, joyful Christmas. Christmas was born into, Jesus was born into, like, a little genocide. Into the ugliest of ugly stuff we do to each other. Into the brokenest of world. He, his appearance in the world, got an area of children killed by the government. Because Herod didn't want competition for his own kids becoming king after him. And so it's just like, this, it's one sentence, but this is heartbreaking. The government came and killed all the children, to and under, in an area of his own country. For nothing. And he didn't even get the kid. It was a complete waste and murder. Merry Christmas. This is part of the story. That Jesus was born on the lamb and they murdered dozens of babies to try to get him. And I'm just saying that because sometimes we feel it as Christians, we're like, there's bad things in the world. Where did this come from? Oh my, not in Steinbeck. Like, this was Jerusalem. This was the holy city with a massacre. And the spirit of Herod, this because he's his own dad, but he's this like super selfish, controlling dad. Herod was terrible. He like had his own wife killed. 
um, because he thought that she was plotting against him. And I think one of his own kids he had killed because he thought he was plotting against him. But if you had a dad like Herod, the only sane thing to do would be to plot against him because he kills everybody around him. So it's kind of like, oh, you looked at me funny. I think it's him or me. <laughs> you know, that was how they did dinner all the time. You're like drinking the drink. You're like, you drink this first, you try it first. I'm not drinking this. And it's crazy. This idea of like solving problems by killing people. That was the world Jesus was born into. And that's not unlike us sometimes. Here's a news headline. This is from five years old, but this is from before money got really tight for medical stuff. I'll let you read it. This was from before it became way easier for anybody to participate in medical assistance and death. This is the CBC. This is the news people that get money from the government to make news. Have you, did you read that? Think of all the money we can save by killing people. This was on the CBD. It's still up there. <laughs> it's not like anybody said, you just wrote that and cook took it off. It took 10 seconds to find that. And that was in our province's little sub subsection. But we're the nice Canadians. We're not the crazy West Coasters. We're not those really insane Ontarians. We're just the quiet, cold guys. Going, I don't know, that cancer treatment's awful expensive. Now, there's another procedure you could get. You will feel totally fine at the end of it. That's Herod. Do you know how much easier our life could be if you just weren't here? That's Herod. So I'm not trying to... De- Merry Christmas. I'm not trying to depress anybody, but but this. Reality, reality, reality. Jesus came into a horror show of a world. And this is the thing. I know I talk to people lots, and many of us have like bad experiences from church, which make us go, I don't know if I can trust Christians or God. Herod built the temple... That Jesus got dedicated in. It was called Herod's temple. He built the church that everyone was worshipping at. And he tried to kill Jesus. So if anybody had a right to just be like, I quit on this God thing. It would be the boy who the guy who built the churches in Jerusalem (laughs) tried to murder for nothing. Do you know what I'm talking about here? Like, if we have reasons to kind of quit on Christians, Jesus
To just be like, that's hypocrisy and that's fake religion and I'm out of here. Well, he was out of there for a generation and then he came back to save it. And yes, he told tons of truth and said, yeah, this temple's going to be destroyed. But I was talking with a friend, so this is a quote. There's only two responses to thinking you're seeing religious hypocrisy in other people. You can either join them in their unbelief or you can believe in Jesus better. You can either not be a hypocrite and reject hypocrisy or you can join the unbelief. And I just see like, if the guy who built this building had tried to murder me in cold blood, could I come here and worship like this? Yes, Jesus could. Verse 22, when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, that's one of Herod's kids, in the place of his father, he was afraid to go there. This is Joseph being warned in a dream. He withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city named Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled, that he would be called Nazarene, which is a tricky little Bible puzzle that people talk about, but I'm not going to address today. Okay, should we land the airplane in your souls? This Christmas, don't let yourself have any excuses to not be on fire for Jesus. He was born into a gong show and he made everything better. Don't let there be a past or a history or excuses or self-pity or reasons to not go hard for doing good. Be like Joseph. Let your plans get trashed. Let your expectations get swirled. Seek the Lord. Hear and obey. Be the best you you can be. Whatever God has called you to be. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, kid, single, student. Be your best you following Jesus. Because we imagine that things will get easier if we can just get the situation we want. And Joseph's just like, that never happened to me. He had trouble, and he had trouble, and he had trouble, and then sometimes between when Jesus was 13, getting lost at the temple, and when he started his ministry, he died. So he never even got to see the first miracle. But he still gets to go down in the book as being one of our best brothers ever. So, it's a fight. But it's a good fight. Don't lose hope. Whatever your situation is, don't lose hope. You don't know that the trouble isn't a setup for God to make it better than it would have been. You can't judge that yet. You just don't know. You need a word from the Lord. You need an obedient heart ready to respond to what God's saying. That's what we need. We need to trust that if Jesus can save a world so massacred as to have Herod ruling over the holy city when Jesus came, he can save to the uttermost everyone who puts their trust in him. 
And anybody who puts their trust in him and is willing to endure the painful loss and hardship of being useful in the kingdom can do good anywhere God puts us. Because we have a savior and it's not us. We just want to be the soccer ball. And Jesus being the team captain. You don't have to be good. You don't have to be... I'm not even going to pretend to know anything about football, soccer, soccer, football. It does make sense to call it football because there are feet involved. We just need to get kicked by God to score a goal. So I'm going to invite the band up here. One little thought. I know we can get discouraged when it seems like there's great power in high places that are doing evil things. Um, One little verse in there. Remember it said Herod died. Okay. In part, that's our hope. God said, beloved, don't avenge yourselves. Leave it up to the justice of God. God has said, it is mine to avenge. Everybody you're worried about doing bad things right now, church, they will die on God's time. And then they'll find out what God thought about what they were doing. And we can trust him with that. Jesus was only out of Jerusalem until Herod died. And then he was welcomed back a little bit with a little bit of security concerns. Let's not lose hope. Let's put our trust in Jesus, who can do all things well. And amen.